Taxpayer Talks is brought to you by Texans for Fiscal Responsibility and is made possible by generous donations from listeners like you. If you want to support our work, you can visit texastaxpayers.com slash donate to make a tax-deductible contribution today. Thank you. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Taxpayer Talks. I'm Tim Harden, president of Texans for Fiscal Responsibility, here with Jeremy Kitchen, our executive director. Hey, Jeremy. Howdy. How's it going? Good, good, man. So been a crazy couple of weeks. Of course, uh, we were both uh, down in Austin uh, with the budget last week. And so, of course, we're going to talk about uh, the budget fight or lack thereof. And we have a couple other bills we're focusing on this week. Uh, what exactly is going on in the legislature from your uh, perspective, Jeremy? Well, we're we're over, as you said, the quote unquote, like budget hump, right? So since they alternated every cycle, this is kind of in the House, at least this out of the way, you would think, right, that that uh, the kind of ramp up in legislation will start to happen. Um, as we mentioned in the Week Ahead podcast earlier this week, right, the, the Twitter space we did, you know, we are within that kind of month timeframe of the first deadline in the House. And as we've talked about, I think previously, or at least touched on, deadlines are, of course, important, certainly in the House, because they have these self-imposed deadlines that preclude, preclude them from considering um, specific legislation. And so uh, the important takeaway there is now that we're within that kind of less than a month away before committees have to vote out House bills, um, you know, if your bill as an activist, right, is not moving or if bills that we support are not moving in the committee process, obviously we should contact our lawmakers to implore them to at least uh, uh, put some oomph behind those sorts of things. But, you know, this week specifically, you see um, a lot of the House leadership priorities kind of making their way through the process. Um, certainly, we're going to talk about the ones coming to the floor, but you even have kind of their border security effort uh, being heard on Wednesday here, the, uh, the uh, State Affairs Committee, House Bill 20, right? I think it's House Bill 800 is the other one. Those are feeling priorities. Those are starting to move through the process as well. And so I imagine we'll see that on the House floor, if not next week, the week after um, too. And then, of course, the Senate, you know, I was looking at the list earlier today, and out of the 31 named prior or 30 named priorities of of uh, Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick's, I mean, I'd say like almost three quarters of them are already either on the Senate intent calendar or voted out of the Senate chamber. Uh, so, you know, they as as they historically do, just because it's probably a little bit easier, they've they've moved quickly on those things. So. Well, we do know that uh, budget is over in the Senate right now. And of course, we spent a large amount of time last week uh, streaming the budget. Of course, we had our our, uh, our big live stream uh, expecting that there was going to be a lot of fireworks, uh, which there typically always is. Uh, but we were pretty disappointed <laughs> with how uh, the budget went. Uh, for those who did not pass uh, or pay attention, they did pass out HB1, which is the budget. Uh, and I believe it's allocating in its current form about three was a $302 billion. Uh, and so uh, there was a number of amendments. Uh, we were really excited to support uh, Representative Kane had uh, like 20, 20 something that were dealing with property tax. Slayton had a bunch of them. Uh, and really right from the get go. Uh, what we saw was before they really even started, uh, you know, laying out articles, they pulled down, it seems like. 50, 60% of the amendments, this would include Keynes, Slayton didn't show up, none of his got heard, 
Uh, so pretty much all substantive amendments were pulled down, save one, which was the school choice amendment, which people, which was an anti-school choice amendment to be to be specific. And so it basically said no state dollars are going to be used for vouchers or ESAs. Uh, Herrero brings us every single time. And unfortunately, the one thing that we were hoping uh, would not get on the budget did land on the budget. And I think the split was what, 80, 85, 52 or somewhere in that neighborhood. Uh, and so uh, a good majority of the House uh, put on record that they are opposing ESAs and school choice. We certainly expect the Senate will likely strip that off of the budget. However, it was a preview of the school choice legislation that may or may not make it to the House floor this legislative session. Is there anything I missed kind of from the night? No, I mean, I think, you know, the irony was the same time that the House was considering that anti-school choice amendment, the Senate was passing a school choice bill um, in, in Senate Bill 8. And then, you know, what's interesting is this week, I believe it was actually Tuesday, uh, the House Education Committee heard the House version of what an ESA bill would look like. As you said, right, I mean, I think the vote on the budget, which ultimately means nothing until the budget is fully passed, right? But the vote on the budget... Uh, was more kind of a, hey, where are lawmakers at on this issue? And so if you're someone, I think the only takeaway I had, right, is if you're someone like Governor Abbott, you know, who at least publicly announced that this is an emergency item of his this session, right, in mid-February, who also mentioned this along with Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick in his inauguration, obviously the lead up to the session, right, talked about school choice and school choice efforts. If you're someone like him, I imagine that his, you know, government affairs team uh, around him is is probably leaning pretty heavily on some of those House lawmakers specifically um, that uh, that were um, opposed to to, uh, uh, to ESAs, trying to say, okay, what can we get to come you uh, come over to our side? That's assuming that we think, you know, there's a full fledged effort to actually pass school choice. Wow. Um, I don't yeah. know, right? We'll I, see, I, but. They, they did, the House Public Education Committee did not, as of yet, they left it pending, did not vote out the ESA bill. And so it's kind of unknown, right, in the last, you know, month and a half of session or whatever it is, like, what is going to happen on this issue? Yeah, you know, regarding Abbott, uh, you know, he's been traveling the state and taking all of his photo ops and this and that. Uh, but there was an interesting tweet from uh, Chairman Rinaldi of the Republican Party, which he basically said, you know, and this is a paraphrase, you know, if Abbott wants school choice to pass, then he just vetoes everybody's bills who is not in support of it and or just say, hey, I'm going to call an infinite amount of special sessions until you actually get this done. This is the power that the government a governor has with the bully pulpit and his ability to call an infinite amount of special sessions. And so, you know, we can play these games to where, oh, we're going to try and placate people this and that. But the reality is if Abbott was dead serious about passing school choice, maybe you don't go the dirty veto your bills route, but you certainly can say, hey, y'all cannot vote for this all you want. But I'm going to call special session after special session. I will keep you here for two years straight until y'all pass universal school choice. That is all it would take uh, to have this pass. And so if he's unwilling to do that, then what that shows us is he is actually not serious about passing school choice. And this is all fluff. Now, I'm not saying he is and I'm not saying he isn't. I'm just saying if he's not willing to call a special session, if this does not pass, then that will show us his hand and that will show us if this was all just photo ops and, and a feigned effort to get this passed 
Or if he says, okay, well, we didn't pass it. We're going into special session in June. Then we know, okay, he's serious about this. And he's probably like, like last go around with the voter integrity, one, two, three special sessions until it passed. This is all that's needed from him to pass things like school choice, or even, you know, things like property tax reform uh, that we advocate for. The only other thing I'd say on this, right, is that, and we've talked about this previously, but all of the polling shows that public sentiment is on Abbott's side here, right? Um, even in rural communities, they support school choice. Now, if you tune into like Austin legacy media, right, or like lobbying organizations that specifically reside in Austin, you would think differently. But that's like polling from multiple organizations all across the state, uh, right, showed that people, Texans support this, especially as we've talked about previously, in the last few years, right, you've had parents wake up to what's happening in government schools. And so if there's ever been a fervor of support for this, it's now. And and I think you're right in that given kind of the, the nature of the bully pulpit and the way it works in Texas, you know, if you're if you're someone who watches this process play out, you'll know exactly where leadership, not only just the governor, but leadership um, in the state, that's the lieutenant governor, everyone else is that on this issue, uh, depending on how hard they push for this. Once we start reaching these deadlines, if uh, if it doesn't get even considered at all. Right. Um, and so, you know, as taxpayers, that, that's what we should be keened in and tuned into, especially if you're a supporter of universal school choice. And I, I put the air quotes here right on this, because as we've talked about, too, not to get too in, in the details, but, you know, even Senate Bill 8, the one that's passed uh, uh, the Senate right now or passing right like that isn't truly fully universal uh, school choice. I mean, we're, we're paying rural communities, right? Uh, if you were bribing them essentially uh, uh, via tax money in that bill. And, you know, the House version of the bill being considered in House Public Ed, even though it doesn't have that bribery consideration, and even though it is, it would technically a lot, I think a little bit more money uh, per student, it also has its problems, right? Um, for, for truly universal school choice. And so it's something obviously we'll be keenly tuned into over the next few weeks. Okay, so to kind of wrap up bird's eye view of the budget, you know, there was very little fighting that was actually going on. Uh, many of the amendments were pulled down. There's certain what wasn't very many record votes. A lot of them were moved over to Article 11, which is the trash can, right? And so just um, a very non-eventful budget night, ultimately ending with, uh, on third reading, we had 10 people vote against the budget. Eight of those were Democrats, and the explanation they gave was there was not enough school funding, I believe. Um, and then uh, Harrison and Tenderholt were the two Republicans. Harrison, I believe, basically voted against it because of the school choice amendment. And Tenderholt, in his speech, uh, mentioned that as well as there was not enough property tax relief in the bill. Uh, and so the vast majority of the Republican caucus voted for a budget that included amendment that was against school choice. Uh, now, now I think they do, under to be fair, I think they do expect the Senate to remove that, uh, as they have done in the past. But nevertheless, you know, you're still on the record voting for a budget uh, that specifically states that we will not use funding for school choice. And so uh, that's kind of the, the breakdown of the budget. Uh, we do have a couple of other bills. I believe we have uh, HB2, which is going to be on the floor uh, today. We're recording this Wednesday, but this will be coming out Thursday. And so um, there should be a number of amendments. And of course, to remind everyone, this is the property tax package of the House, which includes the appraisal cap reform, which we have opposed, which the vast majority of witnesses in the committee opposed, uh, because it, it really doesn't do anything to lower property taxes. As a matter of fact, the fiscal note itself says it will raise rates very likely uh, from, from local government. 
governments. So this actually works against MO compression, uh, which the bill does have 11.5 billion roughly in compression, but spreading the caps out, extending them to real property, uh, making it 5%. This will not actually lower those bills for, for the real property out there, the non-homesteaded, uh, but it will slow the growth by capping because currently there are no caps on there. Unfortunately, when we do that, it's ultimately going to hurt all other taxpayers as their rates are raised. Um, and so overall, it's seen as a bad thing. Like I said, the overwhelming uh, amount of witness testimony against appraisal caps from the left and the right, from all think tanks, it's just a bad provision. And so we will be supporting the legislation because of the sheer amount of compression involved in it. But we are recommending amendments uh, that would remove the appraisal cap um, portion of the bill. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the biggest takeaway, right? Is that, yes, as an organization, we're going to support the bill. It provides property tax relief because it includes, right, as you said, the uh, the compression of the school maintenance and operations portion of the property tax that actually you know, includes double what the, what the Senate version does, which is, I think, an important takeaway. But we are absolutely, and we encourage taxpayers to absolutely encourage their lawmakers, right, to support, uh, you know, any amendment that would, you know, curtail or kind of take away the appraisal cap reform element of this bill, just because we think it almost kind of cuts their own legs out from under them, if you will, right? And then encourage something that increases the amount of compression um, of the school MO or maintenance and operations portion of the tax, because that is tangible property tax relief, as we've seen previously, right? Tangible property tax relief for Texas taxpayers. And so we would like that to be the version that moves through the legislative process. Um, obviously, as you said, that's being considered today. It's unknown, right? Whether or not uh, um, that, you know, the House sympathizes with that. But even then, even if they don't, should there be an amendment offered, it would be great to have that vote to see, right, where lawmakers, House lawmakers specifically, uh, stand on that issue. So. Yeah, you know, I think they, they have an amendment rule on this one. So all amendments are going to have to be submitted by Wednesday. I believe, is it 2 p.m. or 5 p.m. or something? I like believe that. it's 2 p.m. Wednesday. Um, and so we, we at this point, have not seen those amendments. One other amendment we would like to see uh, is, of course, we've been advocating that the largest property tax relief in history would, uh, with uh, adjusted for inflation, would be $20 billion. And so we would like to see the amount of compression that the House is offering, new compression specifically, uh, which they're only offering 11.5 and new uh, uh, new relief. They're using that 5.3 from old compression to kind of fluff their number up to, to 17 billion. The reality is it's only 11.5. And so we would like to see that new compression meet 20 billion, which would actually be the largest property tax relief in history. We will see if somebody brings that amendment or not. I anticipate, uh, and this is just me speculating, that the vast majority of Republicans are going to support this. They should vote for the bill despite what amendments uh, are on or off. I would imagine you're probably going to hear the Democrats. I don't know if they will actually vote against it. Some of them might, but you're going to hear school funding, and this is stealing from school, which is actually not true at all. It doesn't steal at all from, from school funding, but it seems as though watching them on the budget, watching them pull from uh, you know the budget rider that provided uh, a lot of this, that they're trying to make that case. Uh, it's just not true, uh, but I would imagine we're going to see that same rhetoric uh, today when they when they actually debate the bill. Yeah, I, I, for sure. I mean, just to 
I guess, kind of put the final cap on this. What we saw and we, we briefly mentioned in the House budget debate was along that vein, right? You had the Democrat caucus chair. It was one of the kind of few flashpoints there was in the budget, but offer an amendment trying to take $8 billion of new property tax relief out of Rider 81, the property tax relief fund, right, effort to put specifically towards increasing teacher pay. Um, and so I imagine you'll continue to see that kind of narrative built over the course of the deliberation of House Bill 2. Uh, today too. Okay. Uh, I think finally, you know, the other big news, uh, and we had an article come out yesterday that I wrote on HB5, which is the House's corporate welfare program. Uh, this is a revival of chapter 313s. Uh, but, you know, after after looking at the committee substitute and after li <laughs> listening to witnesses, this is actually worse than 313s. Uh, and so uh, if, if you haven't checked out the article, please go check out the article at texastaxpayers.com. Um, but, you know, they had a number of witnesses who were invited testimony who were just talking about how wonderful and amazing this quote unquote economic incentive package is. Of course, we've refused to use that euphemism because what it actually is, is corporate welfare. And what the reality of what they're doing is they're literally taking money from Texas taxpayers and giving to multinational billion dollar corporations to abate their property tax, sometimes for as much as 10 years. And so only one person pays for that. There's no such thing as public funds. It's only taxpayer dollars. These are being taken from Texas taxpayers who are already suffering under uh, high inflation and high property taxes and taking this money and giving it to corporations via school boards, uh, which is a problem in and of itself. The bill itself has no sunset provision uh, where, you know, we wouldn't even be here had the last one not had a sunset. Uh, it expired because they could not renew it because there was so much pushback against it. This one, they're hoping just to ram through, it looks like, and never have a chance to repeal this thing. I guess, I mean, technically you could, but there's just not... Uh, it's not very practical if there's not a sunset because it forces them to have the conversation, which they're not going to have the conversation. There's literally no audits in this bill, which the complaint on 313 was that there was a weak audit. And so they're like, oh yeah, we'll deal with that. We'll just have no audits. That way they don't have to talk about how weak the audit is. Um, and then uh, I've mentioned in the article, Dick Levine had uh, some really good testimony. He talks about, it's like, you know, it provides less jobs. It, it spends more money and there's no accountability. It's literally worse in every single way. And so not only, you know, are they forcing something that both parties oppose and that they couldn't get the votes to uh, continue last go round, they made it exponentially worse and they're going to try and ram it through as a house priority and so i will be very interested this this will make it to the floor uh, it was left pending in committee uh, but we anticipate they're probably going to vote it out in the next week or so and so we will see this on the floor because it is a priority and so i'm very interested to see how this plays out I mean, there's, there's, you, you know, listed off all the concerns. I think an additional concern for taxpayers, to your point, is that it will make it to the floor. Is that there? Last I checked, there's nearly sixty authors on this bill already, which means theoretically, there's at least sixty people who support this ridiculous bill, right? That literally just diffuses transparency and accountability in this whole process. All right, if we're being honest, um, and I think that's best summed up. You know, I don't. I know you watched the committee hearing intently. One of the there were a lot of things that stuck out, but perhaps the most notable thing to me was the fact that Todd Hunter, who's a Republican out of Corpus Christi, the author of the bill, got up there very briefly, introduced the bill, right? And then immediately deferred 
to the next witness that was already kind of the theater that was already scripted, right? Uh, this this lawyer from Austin who like spent the next 15 to 20 minutes being the guy that answered questions on the bill, not your lawmaker, right? Who wrote the bill. It was an attorney from Austin, right? Who, who answered questions from lawmakers to help understand the quote mechanics of the bill. And, you know, like, if I was someone who was tuning into the legislative process for the first time and I saw that, I mean, I'd probably ask some questions, right? And I think it's the perfect way to define the how, how just completely ridiculous this bill is that you had to have a lawyer come and explain it. And I, the last thing I'll say on that, right, is like, I think the original bill as filed was like seven pages and the committee substitute, like, <laughs> ended up being like over 40 or yeah, something, 40 something um, yeah. all of a sudden, right? And of course, you know, the, the committee substitute, the first time the public got to see it, right, was yesterday. And the only way they got to see it wasn't because it was updated on the public website, but because, right, someone in the media got a hold of the committee substitute, right, and passed it around. And so it just, it just, this whole thing is being handled because they know this, lawmakers know, right, that there's, that there's not, public support for this necessarily the public right arguably doesn't benefit from this in fact taxpayers you know kind of get the the shaft on this thing if we're being honest as you talked about and so um this whole thing you know is being ran through the house you know it's unclear if it did pass the house whether the senate's on board i will say the last thing on this is that it does i think in the committee substitute as you probably pointed out is it does exclude right, these green energy project, uh, projects, which I assume is a way to try to get more and more lawmakers on board because that was the chief, at least public facing objection by a lot of these lawmakers uh, last cycle, so. Yeah, uh, I would say probably my favorite thing, I don't know I don't know how much of it you watched, but there's a guy that got up there in like a Dracula costume. Yeah. I saw it, yeah. <laughs> and he's, like, he's like, we're bringing this back from the dead. It's like, I, that was very entertaining to me. So I enjoyed that. I think, yeah, last thoughts for me is the real question is, is is the Senate going to go forward with this? We have had Abbott for sure come out and even Patrick come out in support of subsidy programs, in support of quote unquote economic incentives. And so we know Abbott is behind this. I don't know if Dan Patrick has had a direct statement about this bill, HB5, but he certainly has voiced support for subsidies specifically for like oil and gas, uh, building infrastructure out and things like that, or uh, energy infrastructure. So um, we'll see, uh, I think, you know, if they're able to limp it across the line in the house, I think the only hope is the Senate, right? And you would hope that even if, if they make the wrong decision and decide to support the bill, that they add in a sunset provision, add in an audit, add in things that are, you know, that are, that are needed in this bill. Um, but neither have a crystal ball. I anticipate we're probably going to see this on the House floor next week, uh, latest the week after that, because as you mentioned earlier, we're running out of time and this is a priority. This is absolutely something that is very clear. They're trying to push through despite you know opposition from both parties and, and grassroots. And so, uh, of course, we will be opposing this bill. Uh, we make no secret about that. Uh, and we will uh, probably have a, a very close vote is my guess uh, at the end of the day. Yeah, definitely agree. We'll, we'll keep watching.
Okay. Well, that is essentially all we have for y'all today. Uh, we have been busy, 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 uh, you know, writing articles. We covered the budget last week and now we are absolutely in full swing. And so we have, you know, dozens and dozens of bills coming to the floor in both chambers. We are analyzing bills constantly. We're doing our best to write up good analysis and provide transparency for you. And so if you are not currently subscribed to our fiscal note or to our vote notices, I encourage you to go to texastaxpayers.com and click that subscribe button. That that way you can stay up to date with everything that we're tracking. And of course, if you don't follow us on YouTube or Facebook or, or, or Twitter, please follow us uh, so we can help you, uh, you know, uh, know what exactly is going on in the legislative session. We appreciate y'all and we will see y'all next week. Have a good one.